Timothy Choir with us this morning and their director, Aaron Lanning, guys. So thank you for being here with us, Choir. Yeah, just a couple things. Uh, if you're ever a tech director, it's a really tough job. Um, this morning we show up here just before 8 o'clock and the screens don't work. Uh, last week we showed up before 8 o'clock, the screens didn't work. Uh, we've got them working last week. This week Kyle's been running around like a crazy man and the screens won't work. I think maybe Pastor Greg, before he left for a sabbatical, might have sabotaged the screens just trying to throw us off. Possibly, you never know. So, so anyway, just if you see Kyle, give him an encouraging word because, you know, it's, it's a super tough job. Right? All right, good. <clears throat> All right, so we're in this really uh, cool, interesting book, Ezekiel. Just heard about the wheels. If you've read the beginning of Ezekiel, you know that God appears as these wheels spinning with wings and these eyes going everywhere because God is always on the move. He sees everything, and he hovers over his people, right, is the symbolism of that whole thing going on. So it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. So let's pray, and we'll dig into Ezekiel 37. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be very present this morning. We know that you're always with us. Sometimes, Lord, we need a reminder. We need a, a tangible reminder that you are here. I pray your Holy Spirit would be in the room working whatever you want to work out. We trust you, Lord to work in your people's lives and hearts through your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So when I was an eighth grader at Jackson Junior High, which that's what we called it back then, junior high, not middle school, but it's over here in Villa Park, um, I was a super small, skinny, little blonde kid. Seriously. Uh, a lot of people thought of me like a wallflower. I was kind of intimidated by all the big kids in school. I kind of went through the halls really quietly. I know this is hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, first semester of my eighth grade year, I got to my English class, and the teacher handed out her seating assignments. I was in the back, far left corner of the class, and right next to me, assigned next to me, was Jean Bermia. Jean was a cheerleader, not just a cheerleader, like she was the cheerleader of cheerleaders. Everybody knew who Jean was, nobody knew who I was. And we were sitting next to each other in English class. Now, I don't know how it happened. But somehow, Gene and I struck up conversations together, and we started to talk every day in class. And I can tell you, my little heart began to beat faster. I started to think I liked Gene. I even had a really pretty big crush on Gene. But I thought, well, she'll never, ever think of me in that way. And then uh, her friends showed up in my locker, her friends, her good friends, and they told me, Gene likes you. I couldn't believe it. Gene likes me? Are you kidding me? One of the most amazing girls in school likes this little wallflower, blonde, skinny kid that no one knows about? I couldn't believe it. Now, I didn't know what to do. I had no clue what to do. But my friends coached me. Back then, we had these ID bracelets, these, these metal ID bracelets with their name on them. And if you really wanted to let a girl know that you liked her and that, you know, you kind of wanted to be boyfriend-girlfriend, you would go to her locker and ask her to wear your ID bracelet. You would ask her to go steady with you. So I went to, I built up all the nerve I could get. I went to Jean's locker, and I stood by the locker, and I said, Jean, would you go study with me? And she said, yes. <laughs> it was amazing. Those next three days were the best days of my life. <clears throat> I mean, it was unbelievable. Three days of just bliss, awkwardness. We stopped talking in class, and eventually Jean gave me my ID bracelet back. My heart was crushed. My hopes for a life with Gene were dashed. 
on the floor. I didn't think I'd ever recover from this. Now, obviously, this is a pretty ridiculous story. I'm certainly not scarred from this moment, but it kind of illustrates what happens in life all the time. You know, we put our hearts on things, right? We set our minds on things. We set our hopes on things, our dreams on things. I mean, there's, there's countless dreams. This, this crowd of people, if we were able to sit and talk about our dreams, we've all had tons of them, tons of hopes and dreams for the future. And then life knocks us down, dashes our hopes, crushes our spirits. Something gets in the way and trips us up. And many of those dreams and hopes don't come true. Uh, if this cycle happens enough to you, you almost become a person who thinks, well, I'm not sure I really want to dream anymore. I'm not sure I want to hope anymore because if I hope, I open myself up to super big disappointment. True? This isn't just true of regular life. It's also true of spiritual life. We read all these stories in the Bible about this big, amazing God who does these amazing miracles and steps in and opens seas and heals people and does amazing stuff. And we put our hopes in this God thinking if this God would just move like this in my life, it would all be different. But then we pray, we seek after this God, we try to believe, and somehow it doesn't always seem to work out quite the way we hoped. And then this little voice inside of us says, don't dream for something better or something more just in case it doesn't happen. Why open yourself to having your heart trampled over and over again? Why would you do that? When we join Ezekiel, he finds God's people in the same exact state. Their hopes have been crushed. Their dreams have been trampled. They're living in exile in a land that they didn't even, uh, you know, is not their homeland. Their temple's been destroyed. People have been killed. Their families have been separated. People have been carried off. It's a total mess. And they could easily blame God for all this. But the thing is, the prophets have been warning them for years. If you don't get your act together, God can't just sit here and watch this anymore. He's going to let you have the natural consequences of turning away from him in your lives. The name Ezekiel actually means God's strength. Or strengthened by God. So Ezekiel is sent to these people in exile, in their hopelessness, to strengthen them. To speak of God's strength. To say to them, look, even though you're in this terrible place, God has not left you. He's still here. Ezekiel is a thespian more than he's a preacher. If you read Ezekiel, he acts out these things. He acts out these messages from God. He talks and sees all these pictures and speaks about them. So he's like this actor painting these pictures of hopefulness. And it, it's written in apocalyptic ways, which means it's written to let people know there's still hope in God. Right now, in the middle of your lousy circumstances, God is still here, and you can take hope in him. You can believe in him. So all that leads us to Ezekiel 37. This is a great story. We're going to read it together. Here's the first two verses. This is Ezekiel speaking. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord into a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Now, I don't know if you can picture this. These aren't animal bones. These are human bones. This is a graveyard where everyone has already decomposed, but they're laying all over the top of the soil. This is like... 
Whoa, this is disturbing, don't you think? If you found yourself having this kind of vision, you would think, whoa, what's going on? What's happening? And he's there, uh, brought there, right, in the spirit of the Lord, and he finds himself in this valley. Now, this valley is opposed to a mountain, the mountain of the Temple Mount where God's presence was. Now God's people find themselves in this valley, and life has been sucked out of them. Their life is dry and dead. Utter death. Now, in verse 11, the prophet gets an explanation from God as to who these bones represent. So look what it says. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Now, why were they in this state? Well, not only had they been conquered by Babylon... If you read Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel carefully, you find out that in Ezekiel chapter 10, God is so tired of these people and their idolatry and all their nonsense. Literally, the presence of God that resided in the temple was in the Holy of Holies. And Ezekiel 10, it picks up from the Holy of Holies. And the wheels and the wings and the presence of God moves east into the desert toward Babylon. And God leaves his people. His presence leaves them. And the scary part is, they have no idea. They just keep doing their religious rituals and feasts and exercises and stuff. And they have no idea that God has picked up and he has moved on. So these people are not only physically dead, they're spiritually dead and dying. They're spiritually struggling. So God asks this question. I think it's the same question that Israel's asking while they sit in exile, thinking about the death they've experienced. Look what God says. Son of man, can these bones become living people again? And Ezekiel says, O sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that question. Now, I think this question is a question that a lot of people ask all the time. When we look at our lives and all the hopes that have been dashed and the things that have gone on in our lives and all the death that's there that's been introduced by the enemy or by our own choices or by other people's choices, we ask ourselves, can these bones live again? Is it possible for God to bring resurrection and revival out of this deadness in my life? You know what I'm talking about. For some people, it's their marriage is falling apart. Can this marriage live again? Or their finances are totally broken. Can God restore these finances? Or some people say, I, I just feel dead inside. I'm depressed. I can't just get over it. Or I'm plagued with insecurity. Or I, I keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop lying. I can't stop looking at pornography. I don't know who I am anymore. I've lost my friends because of my stubbornness or my political positions or whatever. I wish I could be happy on the inside. I don't talk to my son or daughter anymore. We used to have a great relationship, but now it's broken. It's, it's death. Something's gone haywire. Some people say I've gone to church my whole life, but I've never, ever really met the Lord or heard from him. I've never really connected to God. I've just gone through the motions, kind of like the people of Israel when the presence of God picked up and left. They had no idea. There's people sitting here every week, maybe going, I wonder what this is all about. There seems like there should be more to this. But it just feels kind of ordinary. 
I mean, I, I could go on and on. I don't know what it is for you. But I can tell you that the Bible tells me that even Christians are carrying death around in us. And we carry it with us everywhere we go. You know, I'll give you an example. My last two positions, I've talked about this before, but my church plant that I planted, it kind of broke at the end with a bunch of fighting among really people that were my friends. Some of those people I haven't really talked to much in the last seven, eight years. My other job, I ended that job more infighting. The president, you know, I don't really like her very much. Now, God doesn't want us to have death in our lives. So on the same Saturday, just recently, I ran into two people, one person from my old church right here at a funeral, a memorial service that was going on. And I had to talk with that person. And then I went to the football game at Wheaton College. My kids picked seats in the bleachers. I went to find my children. Right in front of them was sitting the president of the ministry I used to work for. I was like, okay, God, <laughs> what is going on here? Really? You got to have me see these same two people on the same Saturday. I'm just trying to have a nice day. And I heard God say, Jeff, this is death. It has to be dealt with. When you don't forgive people, it's death in your life, not theirs. It just kills you on the inside. Robert Mulholland says it this way. Those harmful habits, those deeply ingrained imprisoning attitudes, those troubling and damaging perspectives, those destructive ways of relating to others, those unhealthy modes of reacting and responding to the world go way down deep into our being. Now, I don't know how long God let that question he asked Ezekiel hang in the air or that statement he made. Oh, only you know, Lord. But he let it hang there. And then look at verses four through six. God starts to speak up. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message, said to Ezekiel, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Here's how you'll know that God is God. When he puts flesh and life and breath into the dead places in your life. That's when you really get thankful because you realize God is breathing new life into the dead spots things that I can't possibly resurrect on my own, he's resurrecting inside me, and now I can be totally thankful and praise him because he's changing my life from inside out. You know, this is creation language, folks. If you look at these verses, this is exactly what happened to creation. God forms Adam and Eve, and he puts flesh in them, and he makes them alive, and then eventually, look, it continues. Let's read the more next. Let's see the next verses. So I spoke this message just as he told me. This is Ezekiel speaking. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, the skin formed over their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. I love this. Can you imagine? All these skeletons dancing around and flesh growing and rattling noise. And, you know, that, that song, Them Bones, Them Bones, there's actually a, there's a new song out called, called Rattle. 
If you want to hear a good song, Elevation Worship, a song called Rattle. We, we could have sung it this morning, but it would have probably blown your ears out. It is really good. I'm going to use it at camp for sure next summer with the high, high school kids. It is a rocking song, Rattle. You should look it up. Um, but this rattling noise goes. These, these bones begin to grow. This death begins to disappear. God starts to grow things. But isn't it interesting? There's no breath in these. Just like creation. What has to happen in creation? God has to breathe into these people the breath of life. So the story continues. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me. And breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. I love this. This Hebrew word, ruach. Ruach. It means wind, breath, little s spirit, big s spirit. It's an amazing word. And just like creation... Adam and Eve don't come to life until God breathes into them his breath. In this case, these bones don't really come to life until the Spirit of God breathes into them life. And then all of a sudden they come alive and, they, and they're fully animated and fully alive. You know, without the Spirit of God, without a deep connection to the Spirit of God, you don't have life. I love the Alpha videos, the one that we showed a few weeks ago is a painting, I forget the artist's name, but he paints a, a door and there's only a handle on the inside. There's not a handle on the outside. And he says, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. You have to open the door and let him in. He's not going to open the door for you. You have to open the door and let him in. The same thing's true with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is blowing like a wind always through the earth, looking for places to heal and bring life. But those who receive the life, those who get resurrected, are the ones who open themselves and receive what the Lord has for them. The ones who open the door and say, come in and blow across the dead stuff in my life and change it and heal it and make it new. I love how Jesus said this to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. Check this out. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he or she is born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You know, we're easily confused, folks. We think that Christianity is something to be earned and deserved. That cannot be farther from the truth. You cannot earn anything from God or deserve it. In fact, we don't deserve anything from God, do we? So Christianity is something that you believe and receive. So you say to God, man, your spirit's blowing and wants to blow his fresh wind through my life and resurrect these dead bones from the, into my life and make them new again. And you open yourself and say, I just want to receive that. I believe you, God. That you want to resurrect my life and make my life abundant. I, I want to receive it. Now I have seen the Spirit of God do this to lots of people's dead bones. Mostly at camp. I was thinking about stories to tell you. You know, one of the most miraculous stories did not happen at camp. It happened at my church plant in Wheaton. Um, a guy walked in the back. We were probably three or four months in. A guy walked in the back that I played hockey with at Wheaton College. I knew that his marriage had fallen apart. I knew that he was recently 
uncovered by his whole church. He was an elder as an alcoholic. His life had been overtaken by death. He sat in the back of my church. He said, hey, can we go to breakfast? Went to breakfast, and he told me this story of how he had hidden and denied and minimized. It's what we all do, right? We have death in our lives, but we don't really want to admit it or acknowledge it or call it for what it is. We deny it, and we minimize it, and we hide it. We think it'll eventually go away. And now if you've met this guy, the Lord Jesus has resurrected him. Resurrected his life, resurrected his relationships with his kids, resurrected his relationship with his family, with his former wife. It's unbelievable what Jesus can do. You might be sitting here thinking this morning, there's no way, Klein, you have any idea about the death in my life. There's no way Jesus can ever deal with the death in my life. I'm telling you, we serve a God who raises dead bones that are dry and rotten from the dead. And he does that in the lives of his people, right, all the time. That's who we serve. Now, this morning, maybe you got one of these. Hopefully, when you came in, if you didn't get one of these bones, you can raise your hand. Judy's going to bring one to you. If you, didn't, if you, if you need a bone, let us know, because we know everyone's really got a bone somewhere. But, all right. I gave these to you because I think we all can acknowledge that we probably all have some death at work in our lives. We all have some dry bones there somewhere, right? Dry bones inside of us that are eating us up, that are keeping us from fully experiencing the abundant life we can have in Christ. Maybe some of you this morning are sitting here and you've never, ever, you never, ever have actually opened the door to Jesus for the first time. Let him into your stuff. You know, Rev Samine talked to journeyman on Thursday it was an awesome speech about his story. One of the most profound things in his story, it was not told he was 19 or 20 years old and went to Hope College. He said he went to church and did all the catechism lessons in the youth group and the Sunday school and all the stuff and read all the Bible and memorized all the stuff. But it wasn't until he walked into his football coach's office in Hope College at 19 or 20 years old that someone finally asked him about his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What? So I want to tell you, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you never let Jesus in, if you never open the door, this morning would be a great time to do that. I'm sure if we sit quietly enough, maybe you already in your mind know what the death is in your life. But we could all put a name, maybe several names. I didn't give you pens this morning to write it out. You might not be able to fit it all in this little bone. But I think the Lord is here this morning and wants to bring resurrection, revival to his people. I believe the Holy Spirit here is here and wants to minister to each one of us in the room. So I'm going to invite you in a few minutes. Um, well, first of all, I want us to just be quiet. And I want us to hold our bone. And I want you to listen. Ask the Holy Spirit, what is the dead place in your life that you need to be healed this morning. So let's start there. Let's just be quiet for a minute, then I'll give you some instructions.
So I believe the Lord Jesus is here this morning. He wants to heal his people. He wants to blow this fresh wind of the Spirit across his people. Because all you have to do is receive it. Right? Just receive it. Just believe it and receive it. Nothing else required. So the band's going to play this song about graves and about resurrection. And if you want to receive it this morning, I invite you to make your way to the front and let's leave our dead bones here for the Lord. You can stay here and pray if you want. You can just drop one and go back to your seat, however you want to do it. And again, you should do this if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your dead bones, right? All right, here we go.